On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the Rockets losing most of their assistant coaching staff and what to expect from that. We're going to be talking about whether Paolo Bancaro and Alperin Shangun could possibly fit next to one another if the Rockets draft Paolo Bancaro. And we're going to be talking about fandom versus standom and not getting too attached to players on a bad team. So stay tuned. Welcome back to State of the Rockets, the premier Houston Rockets basketball podcast. I'm your host, Roosh Williams. I am also a co-host, host, whatever you want to call it, of the Noble and Roosh Show, the number one most downloaded podcast on the Ball is Life podcast network. Shout out to my co-host, Zach Noble. And I also obviously host State of the Rockets with none other than Jackson Gatlin. How are you doing today, Jackson? I am great, my guy. I'm happy to be here for another edition of State of the Rockets. Uh, I also host Locked on Rockets, the only five-day-a-week Houston Rockets podcast, Monday through Friday for the Locked on Podcast Network. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays, clearly. I'm also hosting this podcast, and I'm the founder of ClutchCityControlRoom.com. You can follow me for all my Rockets and NBA musings and everything else that I tweet about, whatever inane BS I'm on on any given day, at JT Gatlin. You can also follow the Mastodon himself, at Roosh Williams on the bird app. And also shout out to you. If you're watching this episode on YouTube, if you're, if you're tuned in, we appreciate you for tuning in. The subscribers have been skyrocketing as of late. We appreciate the love, the support. It's very exciting to see shout out to all of our listeners though, not just the YouTube side, but Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to this show at, we appreciate you for tuning in. You're muted, big dog. Oh, Sorry, a very, <laughs> a very, that was a very untimely, I was wondering, I was like, did you not understand the sound effect? I guess we'll find out. Let's see if you understand this sound effect. Oh yeah, I got the ham horn on my phone. I could go okay, dig that out right, real right. quick. I was like, no reaction from Jackson. Okay, let me just segue real quick. But um, no, but, but look, but seriously, <laughs> but seriously, shout out to everyone that listens. I mean, look, when you start a podcast, uh, it doesn't always, never guaranteed to work, right? So it's just been cool to see the feedback, people tuning in, commenting, subscribing. Like, I'll just check it every now and then and see that, you know, we just gained another however many subscribers on like a random Tuesday. And it just kind of it blows you away. You're like, whoa, that's awesome. I'm glad people are listening. So thank you. Um, starting this thing off, look, the Rockets, real quick, I want to touch on the fact that basically, what, 60% of their assistant coaching staff is gone. I don't I'm probably missing some of the names, but at least of the names I know. Rick Higgins and John Lucas will remain with the team as far as today goes, March 26th, Thursday at 10 p.m. Pacific. Um, but Desagan Ajap is gone. He is going to coach, I think, the, the Knicks G League team. Jeff Hornacek is gone, which really doesn't bother me at all. I don't hate Jeff Hornacek or anything, but, I mean, if you're an, old, if you're an elderly Rockets fan, you remember Jeff Hornacek on those nasty Utah teams that were, you know, the Rockets' rivals. And so it's just weird to see him in Rockets gear. And I don't think he was a good head coach, really, when he was a head coach in the league. So I'm not really sure what he even brought to the team. No disrespect to Hornacek. Not sad, necessarily, to see him go. And then Will Weaver is also gone. I had high hopes for Will Weaver. Um, I think he's going to be a prospect 
to be a head coach at some point when a vacancy opens up. So that is kind of unfortunate. But it's interesting, man. I mean, they lose Desagan Ajiap, they lose Will Weaver, and they lose Jeff Hornacek. There are rumors that um, a gentleman named Melvin, what is it, Melvin Hunt, I think? Melvin Hunt, yeah. Melvin Hunt uh, may join the staff. And then also uh, the the head coach of the Rockets G League affiliate, the Vipers, Coach uh, Mahmoud Abdel Fattah, uh, also might get that spot, which would be cool to see. You know, the, the Vipers have been like a coaching factory between um, Nick Nurse with the Raptors and Chris Finch at the Timberwolves. It seems like if you head coach, if you're the head coach of the Vipers, good things are in your future. So we'll see. But yeah. And I think too, one on the Will Weaver front, you know, I, I did have high hopes for him as well. I kind of thought, right, like, because he was, you know, he was in the running for a couple of head coaching positions before, you know, landing ultimately with the Rockets as an assistant coach. If, if memory serves, it was the, actually the OKC opening and then the Chicago Bulls opening that he was in the running for as far as head coaching opportunities, became an assistant coach with the Rockets. You know, was here for a couple of years. Obviously, there was that connection between he and Jay Sean Tate from the NBL, all that. And I genuinely had him kind of almost pegged as like the potential like head coach in waiting, you know, you know, kind of young, hadn't really gotten a crack at a head coaching position yet. Maybe if the Rockets wanted to like abandon ship from Steven Silas, that would be the guy that they would tap to be the replacement. Maybe not necessarily in the middle of a year. I feel like in that case, you'd go to more like a John Lucas, the established veteran on the roster, that kind of thing. But I really, the, the Weaver one was the most surprising of the bunch to me. I was never that attached, like you said, to Hornacek or to Giap about just, you know, their roles within the team. Um, but as far as the names mentioned too, the one that we didn't get to is the fact that very briefly, and I forget if it was Jonathan Fagan or Kelly Eco that reported this, I apologize. It was one of the two beat writers that... Uh, Jeff Bezelik's name kind of came up randomly in that he, you know, the Rockets are kind of probing to see if he's interested in making a return to an NBA, you know, bench, being an assistant coach again. And he's currently full blown enjoying retirement. He has no rush to return to coaching. So I wouldn't exactly bank on that one the way that we're kind of, you know, I'm banking on Abdel Fada joining the staff. Like I think, I feel like that one's a given. I feel like the Melvin Hunt rumor is pretty strong and I wouldn't be surprised if that one goes through. The Jeff Bizdelic one, I wouldn't get your hopes up for him suddenly returning to the Rockets bench to be like the Lord and Savior for the Rockets' defensive woes this past season. And even if he did return, I don't know how quickly he's going to be able to like transform this ridiculously young group of guys, right? Because a lot of their defensive issues weren't necessarily for lack of trying or lack of effort. It's just because these are kids who don't really know defensive schemes yet and who are kind of all over the place. And it's really, it's like hurting cats trying to get them on the same page. We saw growth and we saw development from them, especially on an individual level as the season went along. But I don't think Jeff Bezelik is going to come in. I don't think any defensive coach is going to come in and magically press a button and make the Rockets like a top 15 defense next season. At least that's at least my opinion right now. Yeah. I mean, maybe my memory is incorrect so check me on this if i'm wrong but your memory is incorrect you want and i'm going to tell you why (laughs) sorry i just want to get that there you go there you go there you go nice uh jeff pizdelic didn't really have much success before being with the rockets not that he was bad or anything but he wasn't you know like this you know surefire hire kind of thing right he just found success with the switch everything scheme with the rocket specific roster and then they brought him back and it took a while to fix things, but, you know, he did. Um, but that roster was very specific. You know, they, they had some great defensive players on it, some very switchable defensive players on it and veterans that were, that had a high basketball IQ. So, you know, it'd be nice to have him back. That's cool. But I, I wouldn't expect any type of change. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, 
the last thing I'll say on this topic is assistant coaching staffs are very important, especially for a, a first time young head coach, quote unquote, young, like Steven Silas. Um, for, ex for example, losing Nate, losing out on Nate McMillan when Steven Silas was hired because he was supposed to be a part of his staff, I thought was a big deal. And then you saw why, right? Because Lloyd Pierce obviously got replaced with Nate McMillan and Nate McMillan led the Hawks to the conference finals. So for his situation, it probably made more sense to, you know, he probably saw the writing on the wall with Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce saying like, Hey, if he doesn't perform, I can easily, you know, fill this vacancy once he gets canned. And that's exactly what happened. But anyways, he, and defensively, I think he would have helped. So the staff they had previously was kind of underwhelming to be honest. Um, so we'll see what happens, but any final thoughts on that topic? No, just, I mean, I'm full agreement with you. Weaver, Weaver and like, yeah, Weaver and Lucas were the only two that I was like, kind of like, I guess, impressed by from a staffing perspective, given, you know, Lucas's tenure throughout the NBA, all of his impact across all his years, you know, working in the NBA and just, you know, he's, he's that veteran presence that you want on a bench. Well, just to be clear. Yeah. John Lucas is, is a great piece of the bench. I'm not overlooking him, but I'm talking about like tactician. The rest of the staff. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's more of like a character and like a development guy, but I'm talking like your, your tacticians, your who's designing the offense, who's, who's running the defense, who's making, you know, who's helping with adjustments, those types of things. Not that John Lucas doesn't. I just don't think those things are his specialty versus how he connects with the players and like really develops them, you know? And then I felt the same way about Will, about Will Weaver. Um, I was really high on Will Weaver, you know, on, on the Noble and Rue show, we, we interviewed Andrew Bogut and I am pretty sure that Andrew Bogut was because Bogut played on the same team as Jay Sean Tate and they had Will Weaver as the coach. So he was like, he had glowing praise for Will Weaver. So I was Will Weaver, <laughs> like a Will Weaver. So uh, I was excited about that, but he's gone. So William Weaverton. There we go. No, Weaver, um, Weaver the yeah. Baver. <laughs> so you you derailed the show with your microphone being off about 10 minutes ago and we've just gone nowhere but down since then no but uh well, let's, I, I will, let's let's fasten the furious let's do it all for the family and well and i and i will say i will say last point here before we transition into our next topic which we didn't even lay out the topics at the top of the show so we're gonna because we're gonna talk about a, a handful of things today in today's show we'll reset the topics here in a second but uh, I will say Rick Higgins, you know, from, from what I've heard from, you know, the couple people that I talked to kind of around the team and, and the presence that he does have, he is a big part of the player development side of things from that coaching staff. So kind of, you know, less so your ideal, like, you know, tactician on the bench, but definitely the day-to-day -day of growing this Rockets roster and, and really getting these guys, you know, established as NBA players, getting them to the next level, helping them grow, reach their, you know, their, their true ceiling, their potential. He's a big part of that. He's a big developmental guy uh, and has been a big part of that for this team moving forward. So hopefully he sticks around and he's, you know, on the bench next season and he doesn't follow suit with these other three names, but Bruce, I have a buddy gonna... working with the magic who had really good things to say about Rick Higgins. Cause that's where Rick Higgins previously was before coming to Houston. So mm. I just wanted to, to double up on that. Rick Higgins is, is supposed to be a pretty gifted guy. So, well, since we didn't do it earlier in the episode, that's on us. We're a little rusty. Uh, let's kind of set the table of topics that we're going to get into. We, we just talked about the Rockets, you know, assistant coaching search, or I guess like the fact that the assistant coaches are all just, you know, running for the hills at this point. Talked about that a little bit, some of the speculation, you know, regarding the Rockets assistant coaches. But the other stuff that we're going to get into, we're going to start here in a moment, talking about Paolo Bancaro, his, you know, possible fit with the Rockets. Look, it's not a, it's basically almost a certainty at this point that he's going to be a Houston Rocket. All the rumblings around the league are, you know, the fact that it's Jabari, then Chet, and probably Paolo at number three. So we want to talk about his perspective fit with 
the Rockets, how he maybe fits alongside Alper and Shingun. We also want to get into a bit of a discussion. Uh, shout out Big O on Twitter who who prompted us for this uh, you know discussion, but talking about hate versus criticism of players, as well as the difference between stand culture and being a fan of a team or of an organization or just being a fan of, of you know the sport in general. And lastly, and this is a really important one, I've hammered home this topic so many times on so many different podcasts, becoming too attached to players on a bad team where players, you know, when you're at the bottom stages or the beginning stages of a rebuild and that, you know, fans need to maybe not be as attached to some of these players. We're going to get to all of that. And maybe if we have a little bit of time, we might talk about uh, one Steph Curry's place and whether or not it belongs in the top 10 of NBA history quite just yet. Well, maybe, maybe we'll talk about that if we have time at the end. But Paolo Bancaro is the guy that's all the rage right now, you know, for Rockets fans everywhere on social media, you know, across the globe, whatever. And I know you've got some burning thoughts on this topic, Roosh, that, you know, can can Paolo Bancaro and Alper and Shingun coexist? I've got my own thoughts. I'm going to let you loose first. You, you tackle this first because I know we're going to spend a solid chunk of time on this. Yeah, I see a lot of people talking about this and, you know, everyone wants to build this perfect team. And I know it's easy to get caught up in that that mindset. But my guess is that the, the team itself is not looking at it that way. They're looking at how they can accumulate the most talent and the best talent possible and then figure out what to do with it after that. Right. I don't think they're trying to piece the perfect talent at the center position next to the perfect talent at the power forward position next to the perfect wing talent next to the perfect point guard. Right. I think they're just trying to get as much talent they can get because. That's that's the name of the game in the NBA, right? If you have the best player in the series, in the playoffs, or the best player on the court, you automatically give yourself a pretty good chance at winning. Obviously, the best player on the court doesn't always beat the best team or the better team in the series, right? But that's a great place to start. And then if you get two guys that are two of the best three or two of the best four, like that's how you start to build, right? And everything else gets you can fill in blanks after that. You know what your structure is. You know what your foundation is. You know what your identity is as a team. And you know what you're building around. So a guy like Jalen Green, potentially a guy like Paolo Bancaro, maybe a guy like Alperin Shangun, maybe a guy like Kevin Porter Jr. All of this is TBD. But the point is that just because you have Alperin Shangun doesn't mean that if you draft Paolo Bancaro that one of those guys has to go. This league remakes itself all the time. There is no like singular template, right? The Warriors came in and they were the Warriors and people forget they had Andrew Bogut and Festus Azili at their center position and they had Harrison <laughs> Festus Azili, what a throwback. Oh my. Yeah. And they had Harrison Barnes at the 3, right? And then the Rockets kind of changed the identity of their team to run with the Warriors. It takes a couple years and then they figure it out and then the Rockets set this new prototype and then okay, now the Warriors aren't the best team. Now it's the Lakers with the double bigs with Anthony Davis and uh, JaVale McGee and LeBron James, albeit in a bubble. So do with that with what do with that what you will. Mickey um, Mouse ring. Right. <laughs> and then last season, uh, Giannis, right? Big, big Brooke Lopez, Giannis shooting threes. Like it, every year something new happens. This season, Warriors go back to the finals with a new iteration of themselves. And it just might be the Boston Celtics, right? None of these teams, none of the teams left in the conference finals of the four teams of the four remaining teams in the NBA had someone in their rotation over six foot nine that regularly played minutes. The Warriors played Nemanja Bialica, who might be like 6'10 or 6'11, off their bench sparingly um, in like a matchup specific type of role, right? But their main bigs were Draymond Green and Kavon Looney. Miami, Bam Adebayo, 6'9, uh, maybe 6'8 even. I don't know. 
Not taller than 6'9", though, at an, on, on an official listing. Um, maybe Dwayne Dedman is taller than, than Bam, but like Dwayne Dedman was not a big player, right? Dwayne, Dwayne Dedman was not getting his number called. Um, Boston, Al Horford, 6'9". Robert Williams, I think, is 6'8". Like these are not seven. Daniel Tice is six foot eight. These are not seven footers roaming. Dallas. Um, I don't know how tall Dwight Powell is. I think he's six foot nine. Can you look that up while I'm on he's my like, rant? He's like six nine, six ten. Yeah. Get, let me get a second. Right. So he's. I mean, you know, but like none of these guys are traditional centers. None of them are six eleven, seven foot rim protectors. The Rudy Gobert's of the world. Um, he's six the, foot ten. Six foot ten on basketball he's a reference. Giant. Basketball on basketball reference. Okay. All right. Six foot ten. It is. So I stand corrected. But again, he's like an athletic power forward. He's not, a, he's not a center, right? So this whole notion that you need to have this seven-foot-tall rim-protecting center starting in your lineup instead of just having one available maybe in like a, a matchup-specific type of role, I think it's overblown, right? So Shangun and Bancaro, both – Shangun's listed at 6'9", uh, 243 is what I've seen most lately. I think he came in the league listed at 235. I'm guessing that's summer league. But 6'9", 243, in shoes, and after this summer, I got to guess he's going to be like, you know, close to 6'10", in shoes, we'll call it 6'10", and 245 plus, maybe 250, right? Bancaro is a solid 6'10", and 250, 255, depending on how much he's sweating in, in any given game, right? So having two basically 6'10 guys that are both very strong and 250, 245 plus, 250 pounds, you can hold down a defense like that if they're high IQ guys and if they're if they're guys that give effort. If they're lazy, then okay, it's not going to work, right? But this re- this season, the reason the Rockets had such a bad interior defense, it, it actually when Daniel Tice at six foot eight, and I don't know what he weighs, but um, can you actually look up what Daniel Tice weighs as well? At six foot eight, next to Christian Wood at six foot ten, listed at 215, 215 at six ten. Okay, that's not big. Um, the Rockets actually had like a slightly above average defense until I think the very end of their one in 16 little debacle. But for a minute there, they were decent on defense, not pretty. They played really ugly, but they mucked it up enough. Right. And then Tice gets put out of the rotation because the offense was terrible. And then you have six foot 10, 215 pound Christian Wood starting at center next to six foot four, 230 pound Jay Sean Tate at power forward. So you're going to get pushed around. Right. And Tice, Tice was six, eight, two forty five. For the right, okay, so boom, Shangun type weight, right? Except Shangun's taller, so and, and a better shot blocker. So you put, I might be wrong about shot blocking, actually, maybe not. I'm not sure. At least this, no, season. Shingun's Shingun. I, I mean, I test, I'm not gonna go, I'm Shingun not gonna look at the block numbers. I game. test, yeah, I test Shingun's timing is impeccable on the blocks. Like, it's you know, for a guy who's supposed to be, you know, potentially not the most athletic, whatever, like he recovers and times his recovery so well if he does get beat that he's gonna get a block, like. He, he, it feels like he's about good for a block a game. I think he had 0.9 blocks per game, but I looked up Daniel Tice and he's, he's only had over one. He's only had one or more blocks per game in his career once. So yeah, I, I'll go Shangun. Yeah. But the point is you have strength and muscle and big bodies down there. And Shangun's smart. He has his flaws. But if, if Bancaro has defensive IQ, those guys can hold down a front court during a rebuild. Are they going to take you to the championship? TBD, I don't know. But they they are it's not something you just automatically say, hey, this ain't gonna work. You gotta play that out. Those are two smart guys. Both can pass, both can score. Bancaro can handle, Shangun can kind of handle for his like, you know, ability, but it's a sneaky little handle. Sometimes he's sloppy with it, but he's got his little behind the back move and he's got little crossovers that he that he pulls out and some hezzies and stuff like that. It, it's a very versatile backcourt. So, 
yeah, I, I just hate the idea that people are saying, oh, you can't draft these guys. It's not going to work. That's the beauty of basketball is different styles work. People said Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum duplicate each other and Jalen Brown's not as good offensively, you know, and that's not going to work. Hey, guess what? Five months later, like, no, that's not the case. These guys are going to the finals. They could possibly win it all. So again, that's the beauty of basketball. It's, it's a, there's no one size fits all approach to, to how you build a winning team. If you have smart players, if you have players that give effort, and if you have size and strength to overcome you know, your wingspan or whatever, you can, you can play winning basketball. And for the people that want to point out PJ Tucker, when, when referencing Jay Sean Tate, PJ Tucker is listed at 245. Okay. So 15 pounds more than Jay Sean Tate. PJ Tucker is listed at the same as Tice and Shingun. Um, and he's six foot five and I think he has longer arms. Um, so, and he's PJ Tucker. I mean, one of the best defenders over the last like half decade, decade plus in the NBA. So no disrespect to Jay Sean Tate, but I mean, we're, you know, we're comparing him to P.J. Tucker, so it doesn't always work like that. And P.J. Tucker was a unique kind of case. If people remember when the Rockets went micro ball, the defense worked for a while um, until Russ got hurt. But Robert Covington, 6'9", six, uh, six, or no, no, 6'7", I think 210. Harden was like 6'5", 230, 235, something like that. P.J. Tucker, I just said 6'5", 245. Um Westbrook, I don't know, 6'3", 2-something probably. It but, worked yeah. because they could all switch and they were all big enough and strong enough and athletic enough to guard various positions on the floor. And it only yeah. worked because you had, situationally, you had three different guys at any time who could guard post-ups. And that team made it a point to scram switch on a dime, which is something that, you know, if if the communication's not there, which it's definitely not with a young team, you're not going to get that, right? P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington was probably the, the weakest post defender of the three, but P.J., Harden, and Rocco could hold down the post on a switch on a bigger guy. And then sometimes they'd send a help defender over, right? They double. They, they, they did a lot of different things defensively to make that micro ball, small ball lineup work. But it took having a really unique blend of like athletic and physical traits that that group of guys had. And then the smarts, the defensive IQ to actually make it work on that end of the floor. And in addition to that, they had a plan, right? And an identity. And it was, hey, we're going to force you to try to take advantage of our quote unquote small size down low. And we're going to make you take these contested twos that we're comfortable giving up because we trust our guys to defend the post. And then when we get you down on the other side of the floor, we're going to spread you out and whip threes. So we're going to make you trade contested twos down low for these run and gun wide open threes. And, you know, they went to the second round with it. So it, it's not like it didn't work. So if you could tell me that the Rockets would draft Van Carroll and Shingun and in a couple years be in the second round of the playoffs, yeah, sign me up for that. Absolutely. It's crazy because I have such a different direction that I want to go with this as far as like not even just like, you know, evaluating like, oh, well, like Shingun and, and Ben Carroll can, yeah, they can coexist and they can, you know, they can grow together. And, and because I, I agree with all the points you just laid out, but my biggest takeaway from this is it doesn't matter yet. Like it just doesn't. Like I'm sorry. The the and this th maybe this does echo a little bit of one of your earlier points. It's just that, you know, they're in talent acquisition mode, right? They need talented players. The fit doesn't necessarily matter. And even though I've been banging the Jabari Smith drum all this entire time, and I still think he's the number one consensus guy on the board, and that's not going to change for me. I am warming up to Paolo, and I can get into the reasons why. And I think I've honestly been a little bit too harsh on him. Uh, you know, in the pre-draft process and kind of as I've been evaluating these prospects, revisiting some of my notes, and I'll get into a couple of those reasons. But overall, if the Rockets do walk away with Paolo Bancaro at three, 
and they go through this offseason, they get to next season, and they've you know they they've got this conundrum of Paolo Bencaro, Alper, and Shingun. One, I don't think there's necessarily a conundrum there offensively because guys who can both pass and create and get their own shot and and generate opportunities both for themselves and for other players, even if they're non non shooters or even if the shot isn't as consistent as you would like it to be for Shingun or if Bancaro's shot doesn't translate right away at the NBA level, if that thirty four percent that we see. Uh, you know, on his stat page kind of holds true and he's hovering around 33, 34 and people are maybe treating him as a bit of a non-shooter backing up from the three-point line, whatever. It doesn't really matter because those guys are going to be able to feed and play off of one another as high IQ offensive players who understand how to cut, how to move without the basketball, how to find seams within an offense where the, the shooting aspect doesn't necessarily hurt them as much. One of the biggest detriments that the Rockets faced when they did have Daniel Tice and Jay Sean Tate sharing that starting lineup together was not only the fact that you had two non-shooters, but it was the fact that Daniel Tice couldn't do anything else offensively to create for his teammates, right? He couldn't catch it and drive off, you know, go off the bounce and drive into the ring, drive into the lane and create for a teammate. He just didn't have that in his bag, right? He could maybe take a sidestep and, you know, one dribble in and take a contested two. Like that was it. If you're telling me Paolo and Shingun are going to get you know, wide open opportunities, A, at the three-point line, which is cool. Let them get the three-point reps in. But if they don't have the shot, then cool. They'll they'll be able to drive it in and either draw a foul or force another kick out to a better three-point shooter and just keep the offense humming in general. That's something that Daniel Tice couldn't do. So offensively, I'm really not worried about the fit. And even though I do think there are some bigger question marks defensively about what those two guys look like, depending on, again, how bought in Paolo Bancaro is, how much he's willing to use his athletic his physical gifts to actually be you know a at least replacement level NBA defender or potentially an above average NBA defender and then Alper and Shingun some of the physical limitations in his kit right it is tough to consider the idea of your foundational you know centerpiece moving forward not well not centerpiece I say centerpiece I'm putting those as two separate words that was a terrible word choice right you're you're five moving forward in Alper and Shingun it's kind of tough to imagine building around a five like Alpi, who's 6'9", maybe 6'10 in shoes, and doesn't have the insane athleticism of a bunch of the guys that we mentioned earlier when naming the guys that are on the teams that are left vying for a championship, right? You look around the league, and even though some of these Hor- guys are... Look at only- Al Horford, 6'9", yeah. not very athletic, and he's anchoring things for the Celtics. But he's, but he's got a lot of length, and he's also... You know, his defensive instincts are off the charts and they had for a for a large portion of the season, Robert Williams, the third anchoring that defense. It was a one two punch at the four and five at six foot eight. Yes, but a lot of length and a lot of athleticism there. Robert Williams can jump out of the gym. So there's a bit of a difference there. And then even again, we can go to the Warriors, right? Warriors, Kevon Looney, Draymond Green. All in like future all first ballot Hall of Famer Draymond Green. I don't think you can compare that, right? Like he's going to be able to cover for anybody. And Looney can rebound with the best of them, right? Had a 20 rebound game in the playoffs. It's absurd. So there's different versions of this. And I do think I'm not completely sold on the idea of like, or, you know, I'm not out on the idea of Shingun being the five of the future potentially, but I do think there's certain reservations there about what his ceiling truly is when you have to consider you need switchability, you need athleticism, you need length. And I do think he makes up for that in certain regards. He works. He works hard defensively, right? He does his dirty work early. He boxes out. He's a smart player. He's got good defensive instincts. We saw that get better as the season went along, right? Started out early in the season, and the instincts were pretty raw. 
Then as the season went along, you started seeing him do stuff like he would hedge on pick and rolls, right? He would like, he'd be kind of probing the, the, you know, the driver and then like drop back at the exact right moment when the big is, you know, running towards the, you know, rim rolling towards the, towards the rim. And so I do think ultimately that with the place that the Rockets are in, you just got to roll the dice and see what you got with Paolo Bancaro and Shingoon. Like if that's who they take at number three, you don't worry about the fit. You let them go out there. You see if it's a train wreck, if they're playing together. And even then the immediate worst case scenario isn't all right, we got to trade one of them. It's all right. Maybe one of them can come off the bench, right? Maybe Shingoon takes a massive leap next year. And maybe Paolo's a bit of a disappointment, but still kind of an okay player. Then maybe there's a world where like, Shingun's still the starter and like Paolo Bancaro is like your, you know, energizer sixth man, you know, off the bench. I don't know. That's like terrible to think about because you don't want to, you don't want to talk about a tier one prospect becoming, you know, a sixth man after one year I mean, or whatever. Regardless, smart guys, smart players figure it out. Skilled, yes. smart players figure it out, especially ones that don't compare to their peers have the same type of athleticism. You know, um, Kevin Love isn't, I, I don't think is the worst comparison. They don't play. He doesn't play the exact same as Al P, but he's a smart guy. He's crafty. He knows how to use his strength in his body and leverage his body. You know, there was a point in time where he could get up, but he was never, I don't think, considered like this tremendous, crazy, jump out the gym type of athlete. Yeah. Um, Manu Ginobili, Luka Doncic, Paul Pierce, like different positions, different styles of play, but guys that had lesser athleticism get to the league and they stay there when they're smart and crafty. And I think Al P can be that. Um, and again, he's he's actually still to this day he's 19 just a baby. Remember that? I don't know if you remember, there was a possession early in the season when he posted up Vucevic. And I mean, he backed Vuce down and got a bucket and I think an and one. And that play really, to me, showed his, like showcased how strong he was, even at, you know, being 6'9", borderline 6'10". And you just got to remind yourself, he's still a baby that hasn't really hit the gym like that. And definitely hasn't hit the gym with like facilities, like NBA type of facilities for a full off season let alone multiple off seasons. So he's still a baby and he's pushing people around. I think when the time comes where he's, you know, a young man for real, I think that strength will start to show. But that aside, I agree with you. I mean, look, it's like if anyone read Goosebumps back in the day, pick your own adventure. I was a huge Goosebumps kid when I was when I was growing up. And then they came out with this new style where you could finish like the story and or you're you don't finish the story. You finish a page and then you get to the bottom of the page and it would say, if you want to basically gave you two options, right? And you'd pick like, okay, I want to, I want to go this way or this way. And you go to a different page and depending on where you pick, you end up with a different ending of the book. And it was like, oh, this is crazy. Two different endings. So the Rockets, whether they end up with Chet, that's going to take them in one direction and no boy band reference in intended. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it shapes their identity in a very specific and certain way. If it's Jabari, a different direction, right? And it fits in in a different way. If it's Paolo, Paolo Bancaro, gives them a different identity um, that puts them on a different trajectory, right? So none of those paths is bad. You want as many chips as you can get to cash in. You want as many, you know, shots or bites at the apple or whatever the hell, whatever the hell the phrase is. I really don't many know. Different I, metaphors you can start throwing out, man. My goodness. I hope it's apple because otherwise I don't know where I got that from. But, um, so that's that's the name of the game, right? And I've already mentioned, and I said this previously on a podcast, but having Jalen Green drafting a top three talent and then also having Alperin Shangoon, Kevin Porter Jr., specifically those two, and then you could argue like Josh Christopher or whoever, in your back pocket is playing with house money. you got a ton of talent, ton of young talent, playing with house money. So 
yeah, I just wanted to kind of focus on their fit because I see everyone saying, oh, it spends the, spells the end of Shangoon if you get Bancaro. Not necessarily. No, it, the only person, and, and I said this way early on, the only person that I think Paolo Bancaro spells the end for is Christian Wood. Because yeah. I'm sorry, like Shingun has flashed so much talent and potential. If he's not your starting five next year, there's going to be a riot in front of Toyota Center, like on not even opening night, right? Like like opening preseason night, whatever. The first home game, like, you know, media day. I don't know, right? The, people are going to be rightfully upset because Shingun has shown enough, right? Turkish League MVP, the, the flashes that we saw in his rookie campaign. And unfortunately, he was tethered his entire rookie year to Christian Wood, right? He could only get X number of minutes until Steven Silas started feeling comfortable enough to play those two guys side by side. And I really don't think that was a Shingun thing. I think that was a Christian Wood thing, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, Christian Wood in, in a lot of different lineups was a liability defensively, was a black hole at times, offensively, you know, very ISO heavy, like all these different things that we came to be frustrated by with Christian Wood. Maybe he needs a change of scenery. Maybe he just needs a new place. Maybe he needs an alpha that he can, you know, just get behind and then be okay with the role as like the third or fourth option on a team rather than this like pseudo number one option, whatever he's got going on mentally that he thinks he is here with the Houston Rockets. That's unfortunate because the Rockets were in a period where they were, you know, in limbo after the James Harden trade, we kind of latched onto the idea of Christian Wood, like, yeah, he's the guy and he's, he wants to be in Houston and all this. And, you know, and then Jalen Green showed up and it's like, all right, sorry, see what your old news. Like that's, I'm sure that's gotta be a little bit tough, right. To kind of have the backing of the franchise and the fandom and then to lose that in, in less than a season after like, it's very clear that the shift is going younger and that you're maybe not going to be a part of that core moving forward. Like there's a lot of gray area about, what Christian Wood's future looks like. But if they draft Paolo Bencaro, you cannot sit here and tell me with a straight face that they're going to somehow roll out a lineup of Christian Wood, Paolo Bencaro, and Alperin Shingun on opening night. And they're going to piss a lot of people off if they don't run Shingun in the starting lineup. And you're also not going to not run Paolo Bencaro in the starting lineup. So that pretty much spells the end of Christian Wood to me. I mean, honestly, I, I agree with you. And Christian Wood playing and starting next season, every game is just wasted time. Because unless they really plan to extend him, you know, if they really plan to keep him in Houston, then I guess it's not wasted time. It's just a decision that I don't think I'd be happy with. But and that's no disrespect to Christian Wood. Just I think he could be contrib contribute to a team in a different position where he can play like a tertiary role and doesn't have to be, you know, a guy getting the first guy on the roster getting big money and, you know, locking up 20, 2023 cap space and all that. But. Um, look, the Rockets of last season, first of all, Shangun and Wood, when they were playing, Wood needed to move. There, when Wood would cut baseline, Alpi would find him. When, when Wood would cut down the middle, Alpi would find him. Like, he'd make it work. But Wood doesn't really like to move off the ball like that unless he's going to catch it off the perimeter and go to work. So going inside, I mean, dude, he didn't want to rim run. I don't know why, but he didn't want to rim run for whatever reason. So it just didn't work. The Rockets didn't play anyone over 230 except for Alper and Shangun once Tice was traded. Um, unless Jay Sean Tate, I, he's at 230, sorry, over two over 230, not 130. Anyone over 230 pounds, except for Alperin Shangun. Um, is Chet Holmgren over 130? I'm just curious. <laughs> 130? Yeah. yeah <laughs> fortunate for him. But but seriously, think about that. Um, you know, Bruno Fernando, 6'9", 240. How big did Bruno Fernando look at like the end of the season when he got time, when he got playing time? He looked so much bigger than everyone else. It was like, you give him the ball, he's just huge, going to dunk it. But that's more mostly a function of how small the Rockets were. So again, Eric Gordon two fifteen, Christian Wood two fifteen. You know, KPJ, Jalen Green, 
was like 180, maybe 190. You know, I don't know KPJ, but like a very small team. And they got pushed around, literally, right? Not figuratively, literally. And in addition to that, they were short. So they really had no way to make up for any of that. So I just, again, if you if you got two guys that are basically 6'10", 250 in Shangun and Bancaro, I think it looks a lot different. I don't think you get pushed around as much unless you're just unaware on defense and lazy. Um, so, yeah, I would not discourage that. I, I would love to see it. And I agree with you. I, I don't think Christian Wood would fit at that point because, I mean, you're going to have Garuba. And that's the other thing that I wanted to mention. Um, Garuba. Garuba could be a great compliment to both Shangun and Paolo Bancaro. This is one reason I'm still upset that Silas didn't play them, play Bank, I'm sorry, Shangun and Garuba together after Garuba returned from his injury. Um, and even, you know, earlier in the season, but definitely after he returned from injury, because you've got to get as much data as you can on what those two look like together, because you're trying to make more decisions for the future and maybe use some extrapolation. So that kind of upsets me. Um, but anyways, he was balanced. I mean, and again, it sucks because it's just, you know, you're balancing so many moving parts there where you've got like the minutes cap on like Alpi and Christian Wood, those two guys kind of tethered together. Then like at that point, whose minutes are you cutting into even to get Garuba like 10 minutes of burn every night? Like you're cutting into Jay Sean Tate or KJ yeah. Martin. And it's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I'm not envious of the position that Steven Siles was in having to balance some of the vets that he did have still on the roster in conjunction with trying to find the run for the young guys, but yeah, Garuba should be, he should be well, he, I mean, he should look, easily be a part of the rotation this next season. I'm not an NBA head coach, but when you're the worst team in the league two years in a row, instead of trying the same thing over and over and over and over and over and continuing to lose, which is what Silas did uh, as far as his starting lineup went for the most part, I would experiment a little bit, you know, and just tell the guys like, Hey, we're going to try new stuff because right now we, we clearly aren't finding something that works. So I want to try to find something that works. And we have a ton of talent on this team. And, and a bunch of guys that can contribute in different ways. So, like, let's get it how we get it, you know, and, and that's what we're going to do. Um, for example, starting K.J. Martin over Jay Sean Tate would have been worth a try. Didn't try it once, you know. So not to not to digress and go into Silas talk. But, again, the point is don't get obsessed with fit, right? Potentially, theoretically, Paolo Bancaro and Jalen Green could be, like, a huge big two for the future. Uh, and then, again, if Shingun sticks around, if KPJ sticks around, like, again – I just said again five times in a row, but you're playing with house money, you know, and you have Josh Chris. You still have Eric Gordon sitting around. You got KJ Martin. Uh, you got whoever you might draft at 17. Tons of talent. So talent accumulation mode and then figure out what your identity is and what you're going to do. We don't even know if Steven Silas is going to be around after next year. We don't even and know who, who the assistants are. <laughs> also, um, also, hang on. Uh, and again, 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 whatever, six times. I'm trying to beat you. All right. Um, so I, I do think, right, kind of back to that notion of where the Rockets are at without, you know, fit, whatever. Like, you know, maybe they find that, you know, Garuba is a really great complimentary piece to both Shingun and Paolo Bancaro. And like, you know, the lineups where you've got one of Bancaro or Shingun on the floor and Garuba is kind of like def the defensive anchor alongside them. And those lineups look really, really good then maybe you have this, this notion of, okay, as these two guys are growing, as they're getting better, yeah, the offensive ceiling is insane, but defensively, like, you need something else alongside them. Great, those are more data points that you get. And then maybe as this team starts to grow, then you're looking down the pipeline of, like, okay, 
what type of you know free agent, what type of player, what's the missing piece to bring in to where these guys can still have the minutes where maybe they coexist offensively, you know, against certain lineups or situationally. But then maybe you do have a situation where you move Shingun back to the bench and he's content with that because he could easily be like a a Manu Ginobili type guy off the bench where he checks in and you're running the offense through him. And when he's in, it's the Shingun show, but you don't necessarily run him with overlapping minutes with Bancaro because you just figure out that it works better without those two guys on the floor. Like it's okay. The Rockets aren't in a place where they need to have this like beautiful, like puzzle made fit so that they can suddenly jump into the playing tournament next season. Like if it happens naturally, cool. Awesome. If they have the talent to get there, dope. And if the fit's a little bit clunky, then they've got plenty of time to figure that out. That's what these early stages of the rebuilding years are all about. And if worst case scenario happens where they decide that Shingun and Bancaro or Shingun and whoever and Bancaro and whoever, whatever, they can't, they decide they, these guys can't coexist. Maybe even down the line, they decide that Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. can't coexist. If individually those guys have flashed enough talent, the NBA has a 29 other teams where you can look and be like, hey, like, what can we get on the market for this player, right? You don't have to just cut them, wave them. You're not going to lose them for nothing, especially if the talent is still there, but the fit isn't right for your team. Maybe there is another team out there that could absolutely use the services of one of those players and is willing to pay through the nose for it, even though it doesn't necessarily work for your team, the direction that you're trying to build and the ultimate roster construction that you want, you know, to look or the way you want your roster to look when you're pushing for you know a championship, pushing for the playoffs. So I would stop stressing about it. Um, I mean, look, I'll, I'll, I'll add this. I agree with everything you said. And also you want those data points so that when you cash your chips in, AKA excess talent that you might have to trade away, AKA the hardened stimulus package, the picks yeah. from the nets and the swaps, right? When you cash these chips in, you don't want to do it from a speculative perspective. You don't want to do it like, like the like the Bulls did with Vucevic, like hey, hope hope this works. We don't know, we don't know if Zach Levine's going to work with this guy, but we're cashing our chips in for Vuce because he's available and we think this pairing might work. And then it didn't, and then they signed DeRozan and it kind of worked, and then it didn't. But you know, so you don't want to do that. You want data points so you know, hey, we need this type of player, or we need someone, you know, that fills this role, and that's what is the missing piece. And then you cash your chips in for that, right? Like people are saying, oh, what can the Mavericks do? What if they get Zach Levine next to Luca? It's like, I don't know. We don't know if that would work, right? Um, we, we've seen what it can work, what it can look like with Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie, but Zach Levine's a little bit different than that. So, like, would it work? You, you just want data points to know before you make that big splash. I mean, shit, when the Mavs went and got Kristaps Porzingis, they took a shot, you know, and that shit, it didn't backfired until they were able to flip that contract. And, you know, they got Dinwiddie and, Dinwiddie and uh, re reformed their identity on the fly and had a successful season for themselves getting bounced this evening. Davis Bertans was the other guy. Yeah. The time it's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> but anyway, so that's the point, right? You want to cash those chips in um, from a perspective that gives you some confidence, but I would like to switch if we can to this next topic. Um, shout out to big O the boy, the boy O at the boy O on uh, Twitter. He DM'd me this question. And I'm trying to find it. Let's see. Okay. He goes, he said he's a listener. So, you know, look, if you, if you listen to the show and you want to hear us talk about stuff, man, drop a comment, message one of us or something. We, we, you know, we like this kind of stuff. We'd love to answer and talk about the things that you want to talk about. So he DM me and said, I would love a little discussion about hate versus criticism, being a fan versus Stan, and also getting too attached to players on the worst team in the league two years in a row. 
So we were just talking about Christian Wood and Alperin Shingun and all these players. And, and he's got a point, man. You can't get attached to players on the worst team in the, in the league. They've won 37 games over the last two years, right? We watch them every night. So, like, those are the Rockets players. We, we get attached to their potential. We know how good they can be on their best nights. We know how bad they can be on their worst nights. We're not the only fan base that has this experience, right? And the percentage of darlings from a fan base that break through and take that team to the prom- promised land, unfortunately, is very low, right? So it's normal to be a fan. Like, I'm not going to tell anyone how to be a fan because that's lame, you know? Do whatever you want. But I do just caution, like, getting too attached and thinking that, yo, all of these guys are going to have a role when when the rebuild works and things turn around. Like, Jay Sean Tate, 26, almost, what, 27, 6'4", hustle guy, is what he is. The only attribute he'll really add to his game potentially down the line is a better three-point shot. We haven't seen it yet. He's the kind of guy that is perfect trade bait that would immediately help a team that is is better than the Rockets are. Whereas on the Rockets, he might be kind of wasted because his hustle and his defensive IQ and the things he brings to the table, while they do contribute, the Rockets are so bad at the other stuff that it's just not, you know, it doesn't really pan out. The the, the little, like the, those little margins of like, you know, those those thin, right? What am I trying to say here? Right? God, it's well, the, so the hard Rockets, to talk. The Rockets um, floor and ceiling are both so low that what he does to tweak at the margins only brings them up so much higher. Exactly. Like, thank negligible. thank you for you know? being more eloquent than myself. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a Christian Wood, right? Like, hey, he's on the last year of his contract. He's 26, about to be 27, I think, in September. He is kind of the player that he is. He's, he's, I mean, he's still figuring out the player that he is, and he's doing it while he's on the Rockets at the expense of some of his teammates, unfortunately. And so imagine if he just went right to Charlotte and just plugged right into what they already got going on so he could just play his game and score. It would work better for him. It would work better for Charlotte. And then certain teams have addition by subtraction and so on and so on. Um, and I know I tackled the second half of that part of that question about getting too attached, but feel free to tackle well, either. I would say just just to to follow up on the getting to attached part, there is only one player on this Rockets team that I think you can be attached to right now, and, and at least yeah, Jalen Green, be attached to and have a, a decent level of confidence that he's probably going to be around given what he's shown so far, where he was drafted, all of this, right? The hype around him like that he's going to be around when the Rockets are good again, hopefully. Right. And even that's not a guarantee, like, you know, but I think that everything we've seen from his rookie year kind of points in the direction of, yeah, like Jalen's probably going to be that, you know, maybe not, I I think he showed enough to be the cornerstone piece, but at least one of the cornerstone pieces of this organization moving forward past that Alper and Shingun. I don't, who knows, right? KPJ, who knows? He's still an experiment right now, you know, all these guys. And so, you know, trying to separate your biases a little bit, which for me is is hard, right? Because I'm still, I'm a fan of the Rockets. I'm a fan of the team. I, I want to see the organization be successful. And for all the reasons that you already pointed out, right? We watch these guys so much. We watch them through, you know, if you're a diehard fan, you watch all 82 games and you're not missing out on a, a single minute of action. And not only that, you're following them on social media and all this. And you're you're listening to podcasts, talk about these guys. Like if you're if you're in the trenches with this team, of course you're going to develop like an emotional attachment to these players. You're going to see their social media posts. You're going to see how, you know, the organization is, is gassing them up and like looking at the funny videos that they're posting and, you know, Hey, Houston fans, I'm so happy. Like all this stuff, you're going to develop, you know, strong emotional ties to these players. But at the end of the day, it is a business and the Rockets find themselves at the beginning stages of the life cycle of an NBA team where, 
they have to start they're they're in the process of building the foundation for what is going to hopefully be a competitive team for many many years to come and occasionally you'll find a piece and you're like oh this is the piece this is one of the pieces and we know this piece is going to be here so far that's jalen green right now you cannot confidently say that about any of the other pieces yet you can have a feeling like yeah Alperin Shingun's shown some flashes. He he could be the starter next year, but is he going to be the long-term center for the next 10 years? We have no clue, right? So there is a certain level of buy-in and attachment that you can have with these players safely, I think. But you also don't want to burn yourself at the end of the day and be disappointed when your favorite player gets traded to another team or something. So I try to balance myself a little bit when looking at you know that, that side of the conversation. Yeah, and like look at the Astros, right? They rebuilt from the bottom up, and they have their core intact some of whom have even even some of the core have since become free agents and left but they had different vets come in and out they had certain guys get traded you know but like they kept the core intact and they had greatness at the core and they just kept retooling and kept rebuilding look at the warriors dynasty i mean they've kept steph clay and dre everyone else has come in and out harrison barnes kevin durant andrew bogut festus azili sean livingston um, I guess Andre Iguodala is also included in the in like the people that stuck around. Sean Livingston. Now it's Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, like Gary Payton the second. Like they they, you know, they have their Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga. Like they, right. you know, the, the Warriors had that chance where they bottomed out, right? They were they were a bad team for a year, and then that kind of increased their NBA life cycle. Even though they wasted the pick on Wiseman, like imagine if you had Lonzo Ball tearing it up with the other big three right now. My God, Unreal. point is right. Like the Warriors had that chance where they were able to kind of restock the cupboard a little bit. And credit to their organization, which feels disgusting to have to say on a Rockets podcast, but they've done a masterful job of keeping the core together and plugging and playing either different veterans from other teams, guys who maybe didn't succeed, you know, with their previous team, but filled a niche role within the Warriors system that they needed either shooting, rebounding, whatever, to be an ancillary piece to the big three of Steph, Clay, and Dre. And then also getting younger. Now they've got the next generation of guys, Jordan Poole, Moses Moody, maybe Wiseman pans out. I don't know. Right. Like, but like Jonathan Kaminga, another one, like they've got some young bodies to where, even when the big three eventually do start to phase out and, you know, start to decline, retire, whatever, they're not going to just suddenly plummet to the bottom of the NBA because they've done a good job of cultivating other talent around those guys at the margins. And those guys have become great accessory pieces and could be the next pieces to carry that franchise moving forward. I mean, even the Rockets, they, they, tra- they had to trade Francis and Mobley um, and Kelvin Cato to get T Mac, right? You know, that had. That was a different era. It didn't work out because of injuries, but I mean, it was the most competitive team the Rockets put together in 2009 since they had the championships. Then after that, they lost Kyle Lowry. They lost Goran Dragic. But but what did they do? They got James Harden. Like, you know, some, that's how these things work, right? I remember draft night, I want to say 2007. I think it was 2007. And the Rockets drafted that dude. I think it was Dante Green out of Syracuse, if I'm not mistaken. And they traded, they made some kind of trade. And I think they ended up with Kevin Martin. I, I can't remember. I think they traded... Maybe they got our test. I can't remember. But in 2007? 2007. No, because the, no, the 07 draft was that was the the Rudy Gay draft. Remember? No, no, that was that was 06. Rudy Gay was 06. Um, Dante Green was either look here, look it up while I'm I saying. I got it, I got it. I think Dante Green was either 07 or 08. Um, but the point is, and his name might it was D-O-N-T-E, maybe Green, I think out of Syracuse. But the point is, I remember being excited about the pick. I was like, oh, Dante Green, dude, he was dope at Syracuse. 
And then they traded him immediately. And I remember being like, oh, man, I wanted to see him play. And he ended up being nothing special at all, right? Like, didn't I don't think he was con a contributor in the league at all. So the point is, we get attached to these guys because we're invested in their potential. And we're like in the trenches tracking what's going on. But if you if you look at it like that and you don't also understand that these guys are valuable trade pieces and there's that there's a ton of talent in the league and that if you trust your front office and if they're competent and make the right evaluation, it'll all work out. That's the way to look at it. Um, and that's that's about getting to attached. I also want to talk about this whole stand culture and like what? What are you, what are you saying? I got nothing on Dante Green. I don't see him anywhere because Houston's picks were Rudy Gay, then Aaron Brooks in 07, and then it was uh, the Nicholas Batum pick the following year. It was Batum maybe traded for Dante Green? Mm, maybe that was it. I think it was here. I'm gonna. Ed, we're gonna we're derailing. Let's focus on the topic. Anyway. It was it was as part of a three team trade, June 26, 2008. So it was 2008. Uh, okay. He was drafted by the Memphis Grizzlies as the for the 28th pick. Part of a three-team trade traded by the Grizzlies and like a pick to the Rockets. The Rockets traded Batum to the Blazers and the Blazers traded Joey Dorsey to the Rockets. Wow. And then the Rockets traded him a couple weeks later, a couple months later in August with Bobby Jackson, who was awesome and like stole my heart when he was in Houston. And a 2009 first-round pick who ended up being Omri Caspi to the Kings for Ron Artest. And then Patrick Ewing Jr., I think, and Sean Singletary. Yeah, there you go, man. The memory is a funny thing. I vaguely had that remembered. So anyways, the point is Batum, Dante Green, like I remember like, oh, being excited about this guy. Then you trade him. Then you're excited about this guy. Then you trade him. But that 2019 was the best team that the Rockets had fielded in like 11 or 12 years at that point. Right. So things uh, things work themselves out in the end. But stand culture versus man. I see a lot of it on Twitter. It's like if you criticize guys you get blown up and roasted as someone who's hating and someone who doesn't believe in Christian Wood or whatever. And it's like, dude, what, what are we talking about here? You know, if someone has flaws, if you watch someone play 82 games a year and you watch the whole game and then you rewatch some of the highlights and like you just see this person play, you know what they're good at. You know what they're – and if you go to the games and watch, watch them play in person, you know what they're good at, you know what they're great at, and you know what they're bad at. And when you're watching the worst team in the league especially – or if you're watching a championship team, a contending team, you know, and you're judging them on that scale of like the stakes being that high, it's okay to point out flaws and what people are bad at. It's okay to talk about their weaknesses and say, hey, I've seen enough from this player to know. I've seen enough from Christian Wood to know that he does not like to set screens, right? I've seen enough from Christian Wood to know that he'll run a pick and roll with James Harden and he'll run a pick and roll with John Wall. But the next year when those guys are gone and he's number one, he's like, nah, give me the, give me the rock on the elbow. I'm KD. You know, and I, <laughs> and that is a flaw, right? And I, I don't just blindly salute that, especially when you see what happens when he sits and then, hey, all, all of a sudden Jalen Green is averaging 30 points a game. All of a sudden Kevin Porter Jr. is putting up a wildly efficient 28, 8, and 8, you know? And so you, you, you point out these flaws or when Kevin Porter Jr. is playing poorly and you say, man, he's, you know, he's not finishing through contact. He's picking up his dribble too early. He's making, he's telegraphing his reads. Uh, he's sloppy turnovers. Bad, sloppy yeah. turnovers, poor rotation, playing bad defense. Like this is a part of basketball. You know, if you're competitive and you care about getting better, I'm not sitting there in stat counting, crossing my fingers. You know, if the stats are good, we can talk about them. If they're bad, guess what? We're going to talk about them. If they're mediocre, we're probably going to talk about them. You know, it's all in context, right? So like I was really harsh on Jalen Green because there was a point in time in the season where, and, and I was initially very supportive of him. So, you know, you earn that that 
you were really harsh on Jaden on Jalen Jordan Clarkson Green. You mean? Yeah, you yeah. earn that space to criticize and, and like because you know what their strengths are and you know what their weaknesses are and you talk about both and that's the game, right? So there's just this weird kind of shift in like how people talk about the game or fill up your mentions or what goes viral where it's like you know people tweet things like oh I was told Christian Wood is blah 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 makes a defense bad you know but look at this person playing bad defense I was told Christian Wood you know can't fit in an offense but oh he just put up you know 30 and 12 on 56 percent it's like yo that that's not how this works everyone has their ups and their downs but on the aggregate what are we talking about here and I, I think too, at the end of the day, to to really like, if you're a, a diehard sports fan, I mean, you know, certain people aren't going to get into this nitty gritty of like, you know, sitting here analyzing, you know, focusing on the critiques of the players. But that's that's the way that you know I think you enjoy the sport. That's the way that I enjoy the sport is sitting here trying to you know evaluate and understand. All right, where can this team get better? How do they improve? Right. It, part of the the fun of being a fan for me, especially, is the discourse. Is you know having these conversations and you know, pouring over stats and figuring out like what players could the team make a move for that would make this team even better, like all this different stuff. And for me, you know, to, to be labeled a hater, right. If you're, if you're calling out a player for something that is, you know, something that they're bad at, right. Or, or a part of their game that needs cleaning up. Like that's, that's not hating to me. Like hating is when you get somebody who isn't inclined to follow the team for all 82 games. Isn't somebody who's pouring over stats and trying to understand the game on a deeper level. And they're just like, Oh, I just, I hate this player. Like they suck like this, like F this player, that player. So like, you know, kind of your general, like, I don't know. I don't want to say casual fan, but like, that's kind of the mood, right? Where it's like, like that dude on Twitter, like that dude on draft Twitter, Ben Fufu. What's his name? Ben Fufu. I'm sure. Yes. Ben Pfeiffer, Ben Fufu. Ben Pfeiffer. Um, there you go. <laughs> A <laughs> little, little Benny Fufu. Um, he, he hates Jalen Green, right? And I, I, he has me blocked, so I don't see his timeline. But anytime I did see his timeline, it would be Jalen Green slander. It was never, oh man, look, I, maybe I got this wrong. You know, Jalen Green's actually playing pretty awesome. These, this, he's doing this better than I expected. It's all about the con- confirming that he was right. And Jalen Green stinks, you know. And Rockets fans are crazy for rubbing it in my face. Well, hey, guess what? If you were a fan, instead of hating, right, cheering him for doing bad so that you could sound right with your stupid takes that no one cares about, that is hating, you know? But if you're like, hey, Jalen Green just had seven games in a row where he's shooting 28%, his three-point shot hasn't fallen, he's not getting to the free throw line, he's not finishing at the rim at a respectable percentage, you know, these things need to change. That's not hating. That's just talking about what you are viewing at the time, hoping that it gets better. Right. And like you said, as fans, we're always looking for like for me, the way I my fandom, whether it's the Astros or the Rockets, I want to know how we stack up against the competition. Right. With the Astros, I want to know what advantages do we have other over other teams? What advantages do other teams have over us? What are the margins and the gaps that we can close that gives us the best chance? How can I predict how good this team will be? You know, what confidence can I get in to know how good this team will be with the Rockets? It's okay. Is Jalen Green going to be the truth? Because we're looking for star number one. You know, and I, that's what I'm judging. I'm like, is is he a star? Because we need that first star for that first domino to fall. And then if it's Bancaro, is Bank, you know, or is KPJ that star? Is Shingun? Like, I'm looking at the process at large because I want the Rockets to be good. You know, if Jay Sean Tate is traded to another team and helps that other team, and whatever he's traded for helps the Rockets, that's no skin off my back. You know, it's fine. I'll I'll root for Jay Sean Tate. Um, but I'm not going to like blindly just hope that Jay Sean Tate is on the Rockets when we turn around because he was here. You know, it's like 
it's just not the way to look at the game. And, and if you look at the game that way, I mean, I guess that's cool. That's fine. Do you. But to condemn others for it is just like, yo, there's discourse and there is fandom and standum. And oh, sorry, fandom is discourse. And then there's standum where it's personal. It's like, my guy is good. You suck for even trying to suggest otherwise. You know, it's like, dude, I don't care. I just like the game. I just want to objectively evaluate. Like I, I responded to Kevin O'Connor's tweet about Steph Curry, and we can use this to segue about Steph Curry being in the top 10 of, of NBA players all time. And I asked him who he would replace out of Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, and Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan. I did not list Hakeem Olajuwon. And several Rockets fans and other people are like, you're a Rockets fan and you're not going to list Hakeem? I could list Hakeem. Of course, there's an argument for Hakeem as a top 10 player of all time. Absolutely. Duh. Okay. Best center ever, arguably, even though I have two other centers in the top 10, right? We can get into that discussion. But the point is, just because I'm a Rockets fan doesn't mean I'm obligated to say Hakeem, right? It doesn't make me like a bad Rockets fan. It just makes me someone that's talking about the game at large. So I wish we could view it that way specifically on Rockets Twitter. If you're a Rockets Twitter engager and member and you're listening to this, like, yo, I want the Rockets to be good, you know? If James, if James Harden being bad was – or sorry, if James Harden being good was bad for the Rockets – I would root for James Harden to be bad because I'm, I want what's best for the Rockets. You know, I don't hate Russell Westbrook kind of, but I, I, I hate that the move to get Russell Westbrook. And I hate that the fact that James Harden put the Rockets in that position when people are like, you hate Harden. No, I just hate the fact that he put the Rockets in a position to fail, right? Like the pick swaps and then bounced and the, and the trade and it bounced, you know, I, that's what I hate. I don't hate the player. I just, I root for my team. And, you know? and that's the that's the crazy thing that we see so much more of these days is, you know, getting into the, like the stand side of this the discussion is that we see so many more people who stand a specific player or players and they don't follow a team and that inherently skews the way that you I think approach the game. Um, I will I will say before I want to get into the stand part here a little bit is I think if we boil it down to almost like it's it's bare essence is hate is rooted in emotion. Like it, it's you're emotional about your takes or your opinions towards a player or a team or a franchise or whatever. Whereas criticism is rooted in facts. Like, I'm sorry. Like if you're, if you're criticizing, it's because, you know, you can, you can also blindly criticize and not be supported by facts, but if you're doing it the right way, right. If you're approaching it from an honest standpoint, then you can look at it and be like, yeah, Jay Sean Tate is not a good three point shooter. That's not hate. That's facts. Like, I'm sorry. And so that's, how I try to approach the game. I feel like that's how you try to approach the game. That's how many others try to approach, you know, basketball sports in general and have a good, honest, you know, honest goodness discourse or discussion about their team that they cover, that they are fans of, that they represent, whatever, or just the NBA at large or whatever sport you're talking about at large. But with the stand versus fan cultures type stuff is you inherently are, are only loyal to, rather than being loyal to an organization, right? Wanting to see the organization prosper, you're loyal to a player, right? And I think we saw that divide kind of happen when James Harden was traded from the Houston Rockets, is we saw this like sect of Rockets fans who had become so loyal to James Harden that they also still retained their loyalty to the Houston Rockets, but we're also actively cheering and rooting for, especially because the Rockets weren't relevant. We're cheering and rooting for James Harden to find success with the Brooklyn Nets. And my in my in my shoes, 
I was conflicted because yes, I had experienced some of the best years of my life as a Rockets fan with James Harden, like the peak of my Rockets fandom. I, I had just missed the Hakeem years, right? Like I grew up with Francis Mobley and Harden had taken the Rockets further than they'd ever gone in the team acting out era. So I owe a lot of my best Rockets experiences to him. That said, when he bounced, I was like, all right, cool. Good luck, James. But we own those Brooklyn picks and I need those picks to be as damn good as possible. So I like, I had this inner, like where I was like, you know what? If you can go be good this first year and win a ring bet, I will cheer for you. But after that, I really need this thing to come off the rails so that those picks can be juicy. Like that's kind of where I kind of straddled the fence a little bit. And there were others that were just like, you know what? It's fine. Go get all your rings, James. But, and that's where I think the loyalty to a player versus, you know, having a fandom and supporting an organization can kind of skew the way that you perceive the game or how your fandom, how you approach your fandom to the league at large or to whatever sport you're trying to appreciate. And I think the, we encountered the worst of it, Roosh, with the Russell Westbrook stands. I'm sorry, oh, because man. at least to me, at least I, I've encountered some crazy dude. I've encountered some crazy Harden stands over time for sure. And I'm like, you know, I wake up and I'm like, I criticize James Harden about something. I'm like, you don't know. And I'm like, dude, I defended this guy for years. Like, I'm allowed to say what I want about him, about his game. But like the Russ stands could see no fault with him, right? Russ has never done anything well, wrong. That's the opinion. The of Russ. And that's exactly. They are the worst set of stands across any sport, any age, any year, whatever. That's the I will not. Yeah. The, the Curry stands are, oh man, I get them a lot. They're awful. I have probably a few hundred of them blocked. Same with the rust stands, but they are the epitome of an, of an agenda. That's because right? you, you called him a role player. <laughs> yeah, I, I did that on what purpose. What do you say? He's an electric role player. He's an electric role player, an electric specialty <laughs> role player. So like I like made him super niche and narrowed down compared him to Darren Sproles, who was, I don't think you watch football, but Darren Sproles was like a third down back, a catch would catch passes out of the receiver or out of the backfield as a receiver return kicks like you know he was just lightning fast and quick he's not a guy you're going to give the ball to on every down but like he just makes big plays that like take you over the top you know and kind of can be a backbreaker sometimes and so i compared steph to him but regardless the, the point is um look applied to the current rockets team it's like look if i criticize kevin porter jr it's not because i hate kevin porter jr it's not because i'm hating on kevin porter jr it's because he's due for an extension soon and if the rockets like the rockets have to make the right decision on him because it could have implications for the next four or five years. Yeah, it could have catastrophic consequences. Either you let a talent walk and, you know, you don't pay him right and he leaves and like, oh, damn, you missed out on this star or vice versa. You pay him like a star and it turns out he's not one and you made a terrible investment and building your team with the cap space that you had available is now totally crippled. Same with Christian Wood. He's in a contract year. He's 26, about to be 27 been a career journeyman, like has defensive issues, isn't a big man, isn't quite a, a three, wants to play like a three, doesn't defend like a four, you know, like all, all these question marks. It's nothing personal with him. I think he's talented. It's been fun watching him, you know, have some of these crazy games he's had over the last two seasons. I was really excited when the Rockets got him, and I thought he fit really well with James Harden. But James Harden's not here anymore. John Wall is not going to be here. Like that's not the point guard the Rockets have. Kevin Porter Jr. could be like that. But Christian Wood doesn't seem to play with him like that. So I don't know why that is, but I'm just judging off the 68 games I watched this season. And that's what I saw. And so I don't hate either of those players, but they both have issues. They both quit on the team a couple of times, which is a huge issue. They're both due for payday soon. And if you they, they're going to want 
their first big contract, Christian Wood's first like real big contract, and Kevin and Kevin Porter Jr. is eligible for like his first actual, you know, real NBA contract other than his rookie deal. So it's a big decision whether you're going to give these guys real money or not. And if you're going to hitch your wagons to them, right? So again, it's not about hate. It's just about really hoping that the next big decision the, the franchise has to make is the right one. You know, like they didn't draft Evan Mobley. And for a while, there were a lot of people who were whispering and, and texting and DM and saying, Oh dude, I think we might've screwed this one up. And then everyone takes a collective deep breath and sigh as Jalen green goes ballistic for the last two weeks of the, of the season and, th- and says, okay, cool. <laughs> the guy we're good. Thank God, you know, but if he's, but if you mess that up, it's not like, oh, I hate Jalen Green or, oh, I stand Evan Mobley. It's like, damn, that's the number two pick. I wish we nailed it. That's all, you know, that's all. So do you have any other thoughts or do you want to spend a, just a quick 10 minutes talking about this top 10 talk? I want to say, I want to table the top 10 talk because you and I can go much longer than 10 minutes on a top 10 discussion. And it would, it would not service our wonderful listeners if we were to try to cram it in here at the end of the episode. I want to save that for a rainy day. We can revisit that discussion. As the children say, facts. Um, so that's lit. No, that's, <laughs> that's what the children really say. They say lit. Uh, no, that's what Daniel House says. So, um, <laughs> Dude, have you heard Jalen Green talk? He says lit like every third sentence. I'm sorry. He doesn't enunciate fully. I want to I want to give him some powerful words to use. He's always saying like, oh, it's lit, it's lit. It's like, Jalen, just give it some, give it some oomph. Can't really hear you. Uh, but I actually liked listening to him on Bill Simmons podcast. I got to learn a little bit more about him. Like it was the first glimpse into, I mean, his personality that I've seen since he became a member of the Rockets, really, you know? It was a really solid interview. Got to give credit to Bill Simmons. It was well done. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, whatever. It was fine. I liked it, but, but it was cool. It was just cool to hear Jalen talk, talk about things like food that he likes and coming to the league and, you know, just stuff like that. Like he seems kind of shy for someone that's really confident and that is like all about working hard and all that. He seems kind of shy. It was interesting to hear that the dunk contest got into his head, you know, like after the first couple that he missed, just kind of being honest and vulnerable like that. And it was just cool to see him just navigate that situation with bill and just be like extremely calm and even about it. So I enjoyed it. It was a good, it was a good, it was a good solid interview. I will give credit where credit is due, but that I think is no, I think that's going to do it for us. All right. Well, look, like I said, don't get too attached to these players. Be a fan of your team, be a fan of the player, do whatever you want. But you know, if other people want to offer criticisms, just, you know, learn how to take no, it. No, you know what? If you don't fan the way that I want you to fan, you're wrong and I hate you, okay? See, that's what's wrong with fandom. If you come across like that, that that shit sucks. So right, don't right. be like well, that. Well, we all have our pet peeves and we all, you know, have the things we like and the things we don't like. But I'm saying at the end of the day, man, I get on Twitter and I know a lot of other people do as well. It doesn't mean everyone does. But I do it to analyze, you know? How do you diagnose problems? How do you fix them? What lineups can fix them? Who works? Whose fault is X? Whose fault is Y? Did you know over the last seven games of the season, the Rockets' offensive rating was five points per, or was five points higher, I think, per 100 possessions? I think so. I think I pulled those numbers. Maybe over the last 10. I didn't do the rest of the season. Their defense was also worse by, I think, a, a proportionate amount as well. So it's like, that's interesting. Better offense, worse defense. But it proves you can score, right? Now you can find the defensive pieces. So, like, that's the fun. Like, who's, who can you replace? How can you upgrade? Who can you package? What assets are available? If Christian Wood can get you to bump up and find that wing in the, the seventh spot, do you do it? If Bancaro fits with Shangoon, what's, you know, that's the beauty of it. But thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. We're going to be doing a ton of draft coverage. 
over the next three weeks leading up to the draft. So stay tuned for that. And uh, until then, man, like, subscribe, comment below. I'll let you boy.